I V M. You are listening to the Signal Daily, brought to you by Front Page Studios. Last week, National Cinema Day was commemorated on Friday the thirteenth. Is that why horror is booming in India? I'm sure you know the spooky references about Friday the thirteenth, right? And we've been getting a bunch of horror flicks, like one or two dropping in theaters every month lately. And it seems like franchises are just riding the wave, bringing out reboots, sequels, and spin-offs to cash in on the horror type. Take, for instance, the Nun Two. It pulled in a whopping forty-three crore rupees in domestic collections since it dropped on September seventh. Plus, reportedly, it has also clinched the title of the fourth highest-grossing Hollywood horror film in India. and that's a big deal because these scary movies are dropping at the same time as those big bollywood hits like for example srk's jawan and this still grabbing people's attention you know it's almost caught up with barbie sitting at just a bit over rupees 45 crores in domestic collections and get this even the barbie is the top grossing film globally this year and had a buzzworthy #barbenheimer trend horror movies are playing it smart with their marketing and distribution game as highlighted by mint Experts in the biz think horror movies do better in multiplexes than in single-screen cinemas, where Bollywood blockbusters rule the roost. So that's precisely what distributors of horror flicks did. They focused on limited releases and highlighted the technical and immersive aspects of their films. For example, Warner Brothers did something fun for the Conjuring spin-off. It sent actors dressed as nuns to mingle with the crowds in Mumbai to drum up excitement for the release. All this, however, Points at one thing: the supernatural might be stealing the show from the superheroes, especially Marvel superheroes. Because you see, at one point, Marvel had the Indian youth in its grip with Avengers: Endgame amassing over rupees three seventy three crores as the second highest grossing Hollywood film in the country. But lately, that grip has loosened with recent titles like Ant Man and the Wasp, which made less than forty four crore rupees. While this is admittedly better than the Nun 2's performance, it's still a big step down for Marvel. Looks like the ground seems to be leveling out for a battle between superheroes and supernatural, and well, also just in time for Halloween. For the next few minutes, you are going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy, and anything that leaves you with food for thought. Hi, I'm Shorbury, and this is the deep dive for October eighteenth, twenty twenty-three. Looks like India is not going to have marriage equality any time soon. In a decision handed down yesterday, a five-judge bench of the Supreme Court decided not to recognize the right of same-sex couples to enter into marriage or have civil unions. The court, in its majority opinion, also held that under the existing law. Queer couples have no right to adopt children. For India's queer community, this setback, although not entirely unexpected, is still very disappointing because, for the foreseeable future, queer marriages in India will remain outside the realm of legal recognition. Now, the court did clarify again and again that all queer people have the right to choose their own partners, irrespective of gender and sexuality, and well, they can celebrate their love for each other. It's just that the court won't recognize the union in any form whatsoever. That work of legally recognizing queer unions will have to be done by the lawmakers, the court said. So now the ball is actually in the parliament's court, as 
Yesterday, the Supreme Court directed the Union of India to make a committee to look into the issue. After all, this was actually the binding rationale behind yesterday's decision that the judiciary can neither make a new law to recognize same-sex marriages, nor can it read existing laws such as the Special Marriage Act differently, even when it recognizes that queer unions are actually being discriminated against in India. And as for making new laws, that is strictly in the legislature's arena. But, you know, the BGP-ruled Indian government hasn't exactly shown any support towards recognizing same-sex unions so far. Anyway, like I said, now the only way forward is a committee that will decide whether to recognize queer unions or not, or whether to call the unions a marriage or not, or whether queer unions should have the same entitlements as their straight counterparts, whether a man can nominate his husband in his bank account, whether a woman can claim benefits of her wife's insurance, or whether non-binary folks can even exist in a union or not. Or as lawyer Manika Guruswami famously said, and I'm paraphrasing her here, whether queer couples will get a bouquet of rights which flows from spousal relationships or not. Now, if you ask me at gunpoint to find one half good point from yesterday's judgment, I'd say the Supreme Court at least reiterated that trans men and trans women can legally enter heterosexual marriages. In short, the Supreme Court has drawn a clear distinction between gender and sexuality. But then again, by this logic, trans people who are not straight cannot marry under existing laws. But now to understand what to make out of this judgment, which was frankly all progressive words and no solid action, we have with us lawyer and queer rights activist, Rohin Bhatt, who talks about what to expect from this soon-to-be constituted committee. Yes. So I think I expect nothing from the committee that is supposed to be constituted, right? A, because there are no timelines, there's no form of accountability that is sought from this committee. So, you know, this is a committee. Let's look at why the committee was you know, proposed in the first place. As we know, since the matter came up in the Delhi High Court, the center had been trying to somehow kick the can down the road uh, and not give recognition to queer couples' right to marry. Now, today what has happened is that committee has somehow become the center point of the litigation. Whereas it was never that. It was a delay tactic that was used by the Union of India. But today it has been given judicial imprimatur and our rights are relegated to a legislature that is unsympathetic at best and an executive which is apathetic, not just unsympathetic, but it's also apathetic. So, you know, we are in limbo, neither here nor there. Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachur, in his judgment, issued a slew of guidelines to the government and the police, such as ensuring that the police do not harass queer people or force them to return to their natal families. But will these guidelines help queer couples live a more dignified life? We go back to Rohin Bhatia. No. Guidelines were issued in Nalsa in 2014. They were issued in Nuff Stage in 2018. Nothing has come out of that. These guidelines are pinkwashing of the Supreme Court's homophobic judgment today. That is nothing new that the Supreme Court has said today. Let's be very clear. The Supreme Court today has reiterated old things. The Supreme Court has denied the queer couples the right to marry. And the Supreme Court has kicked the can to the executive and the parliament. If you like listening to The Signal Daily, please show us some support. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd also love to hear what you have to say about this podcast. So feel free to shoot an email at hello at thesignal.com. The Signal Daily is produced in association with IBM. This episode was written and researched by Dhruv Sharma and Anup Sembal. Edited by Dinesh Narayanan and Roshni Nair. Produced by Manaswini. 
mastered and mixed by Manas and Nirvan. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are the signal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. 